This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links and for becoming patrons at patreon.com slash The Tome Show. Stay right there, let me answer your questions. I'll clear up all your misconceptions. You don't dress up to play D&D. You don't dress up to play D&D. You don't dress up to play D&D. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 302, we're going to learn how to be heroes by consulting the Heroes Handbook by Cobalt Press. And we have a wonderful panel of guests joining Tracy and I. Uh, first up is the monstrous ecologist, Jeremiah McCoy. Welcome back, sir. Greetings and salutations. I always know when I send a message out to our, our regular stable of contributors uh, who, who you know do shows on, on the feed or work with us in other ways, editing and whatever, uh, that you and Ishmael, the, the social media manager, are always like, you're, you guys are on board to do anything you, that we have space for. So I'm always glad to have you guys around. Of course. Also, it helps that uh, you usually record on my uh, night off from work. Oh, well, I'm sure that's why we did that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. And a newcomer to the show, although her husband was on a few, uh, a few times, I think now, uh, Rabbit Stoddard, welcome to the show for your first time. Hello, everybody. And lastly, it is the triumphant return of an old favorite who used to join us regularly and has been a, on a bit of a hiatus for a while. It's my good friend and yours, Quinn Murphy. Welcome back. Hello. Thanks for having me back. It feels like it feels like simultaneously forever and yet no time. Yeah, absolutely. It feels like, it feels like we just did like the last show or something. It's like coming home again. So, I mean, you're always welcome here, right? Yeah, exactly. Good, good to be here. Awesome. Well, in this episode, we'll be reviewing The Hero's Handbook by Cobalt Press. This was released with the latest Midgard Kickstarter campaign that included a book full of player options, an updated version of the campaign setting book, and a bunch of adventures. They produced both 5e and Pathfinder options, but we'll be looking at the 5th edition tonight as we dive specifically into player options in The Hero's Handbook. Before we get into that, I want to thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. They have decided that they want to support the show directly uh, by patronizing us. They're a great and supportive group. Uh, if Whenever we need feedback, they're, they're always willing to give it and help us out. Uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you can join up in that community and help me pay the bills that make the Tome Show possible uh, and bring you all of the Tome Show shows. I specifically want to thank Keith, Brian, Jill Sanders, Leonard Pelche, our own Jeremiah McCoy, Matt Bible, Doug Palmer, Matt, Mark Richmond, haha, and Dan Simmons. Thank you all so much for your support. Now, the Hero's Handbook. Uh, who would like to tell us a bit of, of sort of what this book is, generally speaking? Uh, I could take a pass at it. Go for it. This is the book of player options for the campaign setting of um, Midgard, uh, the um, one that was recently kickstarted. Uh, it, the Midgard setting's been around for a while in Pathfinder, and they have released PDF versions of some of these things, but this is the first sort of unified book of player options mm. for 5e 
uh, in Midgard. Well, and I'll point out that Midgard is older than Pathfinder as well. Uh, it w- it's sort of been the, the growing default of Kobold Press way back when it was just one city of Zobek, and then it sort of expanded and grew from there. Indeed. Yeah. So, so why does Midgard need its own player option book? What, what, is it necessary for Midgard players, or can you play Midgard fine with, with just the player's handbook? I mean, oh, sorry. Go, go ahead. Oh Gordon. no, go ahead. Oh yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting, right? Because this is, I, I think, in the history of player options books, from like you know back in the old day, the you know fighters, you know handbook kind of stuff is always a kind of this. Do you need it mm-hmm. or or not? Could you just do it? I mean, you could technically probably run a Midgard campaign just fine without any of the stuff and just sort of, you know, use, you know, description and other things. But I think the value of something like this is it has sort of the mechanics and kind of the hooks to make it more evocative. I, I think I, mm-hmm. I, I would venture that a, a player options book is doing its best job when it makes people feel players feel the setting, whether they use all the options or like none of them, like mm-hmm. use all of them or none of them. It kind well, of, Get some into it. Yeah, and I would argue that that this is more um, directly connected to the setting than yeah, even yeah. just your typical fighter's handbook or whatever, right? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, kind of like what I was going to point out is that uh, I don't know if you need this to play Midgard. I think it helps a lot. Mm. Uh, but the bigger thing is I think it shows the flexibility of the 5th edition uh, framework and rules more than anything else I've seen so far. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Um, well, because it was so easy in terms of like the way backgrounds work and the way races, uh, the mechanics with races work and the mechanics of classes all work as separate things that you can mm-hmm. bring together. Um, it, I think it was easier to try to give that flavor of Midgard throughout the entire uh Hero's Handbook mm. than, than maybe in some previous editions, uh, like, for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would argue that especially in that races section, um, you get a lot of value if you want to run a Midgard game, right? Because yeah. Midgard does not have the same suite of races that you might always expect. Most of the Player's Handbook races are in Midgard, but not all of them. And there's a bunch of races that are in Midgard, that don't exist in the player's handbook and how are you going to have gear forged or or uh trollkin or um um minotaurs uh what's the what's the oh the bear folk that was the one that was that was uh, that i wanted to say right uh, how are you going to have yeah. humanoid bear people uh if you're not pulling out of here you could squint your eyes and reskin something but eh, it's not the same you know rabbit you want to say something <laughs> Yeah, that was basically what I was going to say. Um, looking at this one, uh, they want Bay to be PCs. The Player's mm. Handbook doesn't really have a lot of support for that. I mean, you could take the Dragonborn and reskin them to be what they're doing with Elemental Dragonkin here. Mm-hmm. But you may, when you're going that far, you may as well reskin the entire race. Um, also, four-footed races. Hmm. Interesting decision. Not mm-hmm. really supported in much of anything. If you want that to be a going concern, you kind of got to do your own thing. Mm-hmm. Specifically, centaurs. I think you're referencing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, centaurs and alcyons. 
Oh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. The more fey, uh, kind of deer centaur ones. Mm. Yeah. Mm. The um, the thing that uh, uh, I noticed. Well, first off, let me clarify. I I do think they make a space for every one of the players' handbook races. Mm. Uh, there's none in the, that are in the player's handbook that they don't have a, a, a space for it in in the setting. Um, that said... Uh, except um, except half-orcs. There's, uh, there's no, well, and Dragonborn. Yeah. They do have Dragonborns. They just call them differently. They even, right. in a couple of places, say that this is a version of Dragonborn, but they also say that uh, in... I think one of their secondary... Uh, one of the other books that you can use Dragonborn along with Dragonkin. Right. But uh, but Half-Orcs is a decision they explicitly made not to have in the game and I've heard the creators talk about how there are no... There are, I'm sorry, not uh, Dragonborn. Uh, Half-Orcs, yeah. So and, and that they made a conscious decision to leave Half-Orcs out of Midgard very intentionally and that if you wanted to do something Half-Orc-ish that's the, where the troll can fit in. They kind of fill that role uh, in the setting without being Half-Orcs. Okay. Yeah, the Tolkien nice. are interesting. I, saw, I, I like that. Uh, did, did, did they make that choice for like? Why, why did they make that choice? Actually, that's that's an interesting question. And I'm not entirely sure. I wonder if it, if it wasn't to do, avoid the the typical controversy of how do half orcs get made? Yeah. Uh, or or if it was just a, I, an aesthetic decision, but yeah. I mean, I, I could. I mean, half orcs can be problematic and it's like a and and especially if you can make something that hits a lot of the same high note sort of high points and Mm -hmm. concepts it was like well why don't we just leave the problematic stuff and just take the stuff that people would like (laughs) like that seems a fair decision to me yeah and um on the the other end of this i think the races that they've put in here um you, you have justification for them for the based in the setting, but some of these uh, would be difficult to work into a lot of games. Um, you know, uh, specifically the four feeded braces, I can see a lot of uh, game masters balking at those. Mm. Um, with, well, the, with the centaur charge in particular, I can't imagine that a, a lot of GMs would look at that and go, wait a minute, uh, what is it, a 3D6 natural attack? No, thank you. Yeah. And honestly, a lot of the new races have that. Like, there's a lot of things, and this is going to be one of the topics I want to talk about is, is, so I think this book is really useful if you're playing Midgard, and I think I would have a hard time really doing Midgard justice without it. Uh, and, and I wanted to ask sort of how much is it useful outside of Midgard, and I think the answer is very but if it's a non-standard race or class option or whatever, uh, talk to your DM and make sure that it's going to fit into the setting, I think is what you're getting at. Yeah. Yeah, basically. And it's 2d6 natural attack, but still, that's yeah. really heavy. That's really boss. Also, the the number of effects that only affect medium size or smaller um, mm. are suddenly discounted by a large size creature mm-hmm. yes so, they only wear mid-sized armor and gear but yeah in this one actually one of the things i really liked about this book is that um dan dylan who is a person i really like in general but um he calls out a lot of the design decisions in the asides 
and he speaks to um, the choice to make uh, to the challenges of designing large PC races and how with centaurs it was easier to make them large-ish, so they're technically large, but medium torsoed, mm -hmm. so they don't get a lot of the advantages of large, like um, I don't think they have automatic reach they use standard weapons, they use standard armor I um, mm -hmm. think they just move faster um, and they avoid some of the things that make large some of the other things that make large, large creatures really unbalanced Mm -hmm. I, I like them. I mean, all of the races on a pure flavor level mm -hmm. are awesome. I, I love the flavor of them. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think some of them are a little more challenging. Uh, the the Minotaur and the, the Centaur and a couple of others, they have natural attacks. Uh, because they are described as natural attacks, I do wonder how they interact with monks. Oh, sure. Um, so... There is that. And when I asked about monks in the setting, actually specifically was told, there aren't a lot of monks in the setting. <laughs> Just, mm -hmm. that, yeah, I, I, mean, so, I, I let, Oh, sorry. Yeah, so I've, I've played um, actually a centauroid creature in another game that is the monk. Um, I think it's just good synergy on that. And, you know, as much as I look at that centaur attack and go, mm, I'd probably allow it in my game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I would. Yeah, yeah I, I think uh, and we, I, I feel that we've touched on it with a few of the comments too, but oh, I just want to sort of call it out specifically is like, I, what I'd loved about uh, you know, uh, again, I'm sort of delving into the history of player options books here, right? There have been so many and, uh, but one of the things I like about this one was uh, in races, it's very easy to be like, hey, here's just a bunch of stuff. Um, and like, and it's kind of almost made for novelty, right? Like I've definitely seen minotaur minotaurs done in games where it felt more like, look, you can like, you know, have horns and like, here's some like crazy special attack. And there's like a real attempt to, while some stuff might break bounds uh, a little bit, like, you know, say, uh, like we mentioned with natural attacks, uh, size kind of stuff. It was meant to, within Midgar, to have a certain amount of cohesion and to, to mm. fit, and not to just be like, ooh, neat thing. It's like, no, this exists uh, within here, and, and it sort of is part of the uh, setting, uh, and it feels, it felt right in there. Well, and um, there's, a, there's a lot of little notes and highlights you talk about previous editions and, and older you know homages to older things and the novelty of it there's a little you know the gear forged are clearly their yeah. version of <laughs> warforged from eberron but they couldn't do warforged right? Uh, right in the same way uh the minotaurs the way the minotaurs are in midgard is they're they're civilized minotaurs not sort of the savage minotaurs that you oftentimes get in in player options which reminds me a lot of dragonlands uh Talithus yeah. minotaurs if yeah. you want to go way back to second edition right mm -hmm. i i would actually uh, argue for if you are planning to run an ebron game get this book Ooh, that's oh, yeah. that's a good that's a, that's actually a really good call this wow this maps to that really well yeah because they've got monster races uh -huh. that normally don't get uh pc stats they've got which in ebron is absolutely a thing 
uh, and they've got Gear Forged, and they've got a bunch of things that we'll talk about later with Clockwork stuff to tie mm-hmm. into the Gear Forged. I mean, it's it, it's a perfect book for somebody who is planning on doing an Eberron game. Who knows when Wizards will actually get around to publishing an Eberron book? This is the the best you're going to get in that regard. And the the Gear Forged uh, stuff has been available actually through, from Kobold for some time. Uh, it's worth mentioning that the Heroes Handbook that we're looking at is by and large a compilation of a bunch of other small products that they put out. Um, you know, they have this deep magic series uh, that that it combines here. A lot of the races are from their. They, oh, I can't remember the name of it now, but it was a, a small. Uh, Small book. It was both physical and PDF. That has a, they, just a, a bunch of Midgard races in it, including the Gear Forge. I've been using it heavily in my game because I have a, a guy playing an old uh, Japanese robot in my post-apocalyptic fantasy Earth game. But nice. the 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 books are Heroes of uh, Midgard and yes, or Midgard Heroes and Southland Heroes. Yes, are the two books, um, and. It's worth noting that they are certainly worth picking up for PDF if you are interested in doing more with Midgard and the various stuff that they have, because mm-hmm. they do have some races in those books that are not in this. Yeah, although there's stuff here that's not there as well, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I think the damp here is not in the uh, the Maybe, Midgard yeah. um, stuff, but they do have uh, the Darakul Ghoul in Midgard Heroes. Right. And there's a, play, yeah. there's a magical race uh, as well. Like they, They're like humans, but they have this weird magical touch. I can't remember the name of them now. The Shadowfay? No, because they're human. Um, oh. uh, anyway. It's not that important, because it's not in this book. <laughs> it's available in the other one, I remember. They okay. also have Asimar in the South, um, Southland book, and Lizard Folk. There you go. Yeah. Oh, and an insect race. Uh, Tuskuli? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they, they have some extras there that are worth picking them up. If you're interested in, you know, going full bore into the various options that are available in the setting, worth taking a look at them. Mm-hmm. And they're not expensive, so. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that, and that's a lot of why they're, they did them, right? They, I, I remember they put a lot of these out in the early days of 5th edition. It was their way of sort of testing the waters, see how it'll sell, of what, what's the interest in this kind of stuff. So they'd put out a, a couple of really short, you know, Two dollar, three dollar PDFs of, or, or even small physical products. Right now, they're starting to say, "Okay, this is a thing." Like Five E's not going anywhere, and it's a decent game. So now yeah. they're now they're putting out bigger and more hefty products. Yeah. Oh, and Wear Lions, Southland <laughs> Heroes had Wear Lions. Right. So we've we've been digging into the races, although it wasn't my intent to to get there right away. But we kind of naturally transitioned into there. What else do we want to say about the the race options? There's a lot of different ones. You know, you talked about a lot of monster races, and some of them have higher appeal to me than others. But um, you know, and and they do some unusual things. Like you don't see, you typically don't see a lot of use in five e for races that have inherent minuses, and yet the rat folk do. Um, you know, but it does. It happens in third party products every now and then, and it kind of works for their role in in the setting. I think. Wait, which one has an inherent minus? Uh, rat folk. Just miss that. They have yeah, a they have minus a minus two to strength. Huh? And rat folk are in this document. Yeah, they're. Um... 
page 2526 on my PDF. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after the Minotaurs. Gotcha. Yeah. I had missed those because mm-hmm. I'm always interested in rat folk. There you yeah. go. Uh, yeah, one of the things I'm, I always enjoy. Oh, well, they're after all the... Gotcha. I think so. Does it make sense to quickly point out it is easy to miss stuff because there's just so much in this? Yeah, it transitions yeah, quickly. Not not everything. I don't know that everything. Hmm. Most of the things have an illustration. Not it may not be that everything does to highlight that you've moved on to a new thing, right? Um, so it is. Yeah, it's easy to sort of fly from one to the other and, and kind of miss that you yeah. that you saw it there. I, I I will say that rat folk are cool for two things. Uh, one uh, pack tactics which is nice, uh, where you get advantage on attack rolls mm-hmm. if a creature is at least uh, one of your allies is within five feet of you. That's handy, uh, especially if you're playing a rogue. Um, and, uh, oh, rodent empathy. See, I had the same thought about that ability only huh. with the kobold, uh-huh. um, which doesn't have the minus to strength, because it also gets advantage if you have an ally within five feet, which is awesome if you're a rogue. Sure. So, so the one I'm looking at uh, underneath Minotaur is Raven Folk. Mm-hmm. Huh. Are yeah. they? Did it not make it into the PDF? Because I'm looking PDF. at the print. No, I've got I've got Raven Folk after Rat Folk. Yeah. Yeah, Raven Folk after Rat Folk. Yeah. Okay. And the PDF I have, they're just not there. Oh. There's Minotaurs, and then there's Raven Folk. They might have so. different different versions that they came out at different, different times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Already. I mean, that's part of what happens with Kickstarters. You know, sometimes they get things pushed out and then they update them later and things get moved yeah. around. Yeah, it's uh, easy to get off edition. The Raven Folk are interesting to me, too, because it's a weird, like, if you want to play a bird person but don't care about flying. Well, <laughs> I mean, know? it's very similar to the existing one in uh, uh, D&D already. It's, it's kind of Kinku, right? Kinku. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, the the only difference I think uh, is that they can actually talk with their own voice. Mm. They can yeah, they can mimic, they but they a, don't have to. Yeah, they have a mimicry feature, but they can still speak their own. And of course, yeah. their coloration is is cooler than Kinku. I I've I've played a Kinku, uh-huh. um, and uh, the the having to mimic thing is kind of cool, but after a while, it gets old. Sort of like playing a mute character, it the novelty begins to wear off mm-hmm. after you have to do it for for a while. Mm-hmm. I have a Kenku in the uh, Pathfinder game that uh, stands and fire runs. Mm-hmm. And it's and I think it's also interesting that not only do they provide all these new races, but there's new sub races. If you wanted to play, uh, what is it? The halfling has the the winter folk halfling, which is a new kind of halfling sub race, and the gnomes have a new type of gnome sub race uh, as well. Um, some of the th- some of the f- the changes are more or less. Um, Almost aesthetic, right? Um, like the what are the human elf marked are basically just half elves, yeah. Um, yeah. But they call them elf marked humans, you know. Yeah, yeah. Their backstory yeah, is slightly different. Oh, sorry, rabbit. There's a, there's a couple of different elves, mm-hmm. and then apparently dark elves aren't really a thing. Although the way in which they're not really a thing is 
interesting. I guess that's just the setting feature of Midgard mm-hmm. itself. So, like, hi, we don't have dark elves because they were basically hounded in the corners by the Darkle. Right. The, the uh, campaign guide actually clarifies that there are some, but they're very rare. Mm. Um, like, if your player wants to play one, that's fine, mm-hmm. but there there isn't like a, a dark elf civilization anymore. That went away. Well, and the the um, the role of the of the drow or the dark elf has sort of been subsumed by the shadow fae in in Midgard, uh, right? Somewhat. Somewhat. They're different. So any other uh, thoughts or things you want to point out in terms of races? Because races takes us all the way to page 31, and we're 25 minutes in. <laughs> and, yeah. so, and then most of the book is not the races, although the races are cool. Yeah, they are. And, um, yeah, so and, and I guess my 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 gist of the races is like there's a lot of really cool options. I found everything to be very well designed and and yeah. decently balanced. Nothing that I would I would hesitate to use. Uh, but it you know check with your DM because giant walking humanoid bears may not be uh, what they had in mind for their setting. You know so right. Um, I really liked the ritual of soul forging for the uh, gear forge. You could tell that that had gone through a lot of mm-hmm. uh, uh, revision and stuff. Mm-hmm. I felt that all the races had looked like they had an idea they were going for, and then the design came from that mm-hmm. rather than the other way around, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like you mentioned. Um, I, I'm generally an opponent of immunities for PCs. Well, actually, I'm an opponent of immunities in general. So if I were going to use some of these in my campaigns, uh, Darkle in particular would probably have to go through some uh, changes to um, deal with their immunity to, I think, poison, charm, and... Uh, disease. Oh, and necro- well, resistance to necrotic immunity to poison, immune to exhaustion and charm and the poisoned conditions. That's the Darkul. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because I don't have them in my PDF. So. Oh, that's so weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they're the weird ghoul ones. They're another one with a. You're looking in the PDF of it. Uh, or is it the Pathfinder version? Int- I will say I'm interested enough to. Get another version of a PDF of yeah. the PDF to, to see uh, all that they have well, because cool. all the options are extremely cool. Mm-hmm. But you know, hey, I would use this with a few tweaks. Is not a uh, uh, insult to me. That's, no. Hey, your Absolutely. ideas are interesting enough for me to want to mod them. There you go. Uh, and I and I would probably accept most of the things I see in here, both races and and we'll get into classes in a little bit. Um, pretty much without without modification, um, or if I had modification, it would be setting modification, story modification, not mechanical. I'm I'm generally pretty happy with um, the the build. I think they 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 Kobold generally does a pretty darn good job in terms of mechanics, uh, and I think they did a particularly good job in in this product. And that probably mm-hmm. has to do with the fact that a lot of it had been previously released in smaller products, and so it had been, you know, well and thoroughly playtested. They can make adjustments from those products to these. So, 
So let's get into the the classes then, because most of the book is just chock full of hundred some pages of class options, uh, and they break it down into type of class options in in a very sort of fourth edition y sort of way, right? Um, because you have your it starts with your your martial characters and then moves on to your divine characters and then your arcane characters. Uh, I guess martial and and roguish characters. Um, and by and large, I find that they are. It's it's mostly just like there's new there's new builds for every class. Um, I think I, I didn't catch any that weren't there. No monks. Oh, you're right. No monks. Yeah. Look at yeah. that. Monks got no. Monks. So other than monks, there's there's uh, there's new builds for everything. Barbarian barely gets a, a mention, right? They get one new primal path. Right. Um, you know, bards get a couple, but then there's like a bunch of fighter, uh, a handful of paladins. I suspect I suspect in the earlier drafts, the barbarian might have had a few more things, and then they just smashed it. Oh. So then they're just like, hey, you're you, you know you wasted your shot, so yeah. they just gave it to everybody else. Well, and there's some of the like there's a there is sort of a Norse re- inspired region of Midgard, as I recall, uh, and so. Including some new ideas for Barbarian makes a lot of sense. That sort of ties to that culture. Um, and and McCoy, uh, I'm sorry, Jeremiah, you 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 might be uh, more recently read on the Midgard setting. I read it a long time ago, and I haven't read the new version yet. I focused on my reading on this book, but so the um, the the Northlands are very much uh, we're Vikings, guys. No, really, we're right. Vikings. Um, they worship the, the Norse gods. The Norse gods are very much embedded in the setting. Mm-hmm. Yggdrasil is in the setting. The world snake actually does wrap all the way around the world. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it is pretty much built on that. I can see why they wouldn't have a bunch of barbarian stuff for various reasons, not the least of which is the barbarian types that you would use for that setting already exists in player's handbook it's not like mm-hmm. they have to reinvent that one right so i think that, i think yeah i think they're they've and they've got a ton of of fighter options like the 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 bard ones are generally fairly um i don't want to have say, a griffin knight right yeah well and that's what I'm, I'm getting at right the fighter options there's a ton of them but a lot of them are really sort of niche and very specific to a specific sort of story or or setting um, in within it, including the Griffin Knights, uh, which is another one of those like, okay, if I'm interested in playing a Griffin Knight, that better be a conversation I have with my DM because if I'm playing a Dungeon Delve, I, there may not be a lot of opportunities to use my Griffin, and that's going to be frustrating, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but yeah. it's cool, and I kind of yeah. don't mind that a lot of these are really like niche. Like I made a note under the uh, the the entry for the Edjet uh, Fighter Martial uh, Archetype. Which is this sort of um, trained soldier, draconic army fighter, uh, and it's this—it's—it's it's a very sort of niche build for fighter. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of cool. But unless it fits my setting and my story very well, there's no way I'm doing anything with it. But I kind of don't mind because, like, it's a, these these archetypes are small. Like, it's a half a page out of a. Uh, what is it? A two hundred and sixteen page book. So, like, okay. So I don't mind that there's a whole bunch of different options. I can just sort of cherry pick the ones that that are going to enhance my setting and ignore the others, and I don't feel like I'm getting ripped off because it's not taking up a, a page count. Uh, 
Right. Well, yeah. yeah and... Sorry. Oh, so I figured out what happened. Okay. So apparently, uh, if you're on DriveThruRPG, there is Midgard Heroes 5e, and oh. then there's Midgard Heroes Handbook for 5th Edition, which are two separate <laughs> products. Apparently it was Midgard Heroes 5e, oh. but... Uh, but I have I have now obtained Midgard Heroes Handbook for Fifth Edition. There we go. So, you, so, so we're we're back we're back in business. So you you're 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 working you were previously working from a a book that has a lot of overlap but is not the same book. Right. Uh, it, it has the dark and it looks like the races that are that are in both are essentially the same. It doesn't look okay. like there's any revision right. between them. Um, but yay, now I can see the rat cat. Which, um, yes. which oh. by which I am delighted. Mm-hmm. As far as the belt bear folk who are uh, yeah. not in the other one. So so we're talking martial and roguish characters. Uh, any mm-hmm. others that sort of stood out to you or or were interesting to you or worth noting? Um I I would comment because because I have been digging into the campaign setting, a lot of those niche ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, have a strong basis in the storylines and and uh, elements of the campaign setting mm-hmm. itself. They, like you said, the 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 uh, Idjit mm-hmm. martial ar- archetype doesn't make a lot of you know it's not all that exciting. Except that the Dragon uh, Empire is huge and really impressive, and there's a whole thing about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Griffin Knights actually. Seems overpowered, but Griffin Knights are part of Zobek. Like, Zobek has a whole guard of Griffin Knights that patrol the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, and, there, and so there's yeah. in story sort of uh, limits. Yeah. Now, now, this... Well, and, and also okay. just. If, oh, sorry. No, you go. I was going to say real quick, just that um, this is also part of the thing where I was talking earlier about how I felt like this really helps make 5e shine because you could get that much story into right. the player options mm-hmm. in like half a page. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And and that, and then, then chaining off of that actually is, and, and I want to kind of, I want to put, put a pin in this thought right now just to sort of uh, uh, bring it up and then sort of talk about it when we get two backgrounds is like I actually feel that there was an and this is by by no means a critique of like doing it the way that you would organize these books typically all the time of sort of this conceptual hey these options go here these options go there but I feel that there's like uh, because of the evocativeness of the different elements so you know the the um, archetypes in the backgrounds and the races and stuff uh, and then they even do the thing right before uh, I don't think we mentioned it, but I'll just mention it. Like right before you get into the races, even they describe the major regions of Midgard and what kind of adventures in the story. But and so if you were to organize it, say by region, and then put in the thing, the archetype, and maybe some of the sort of uh, major races and the backgrounds in there. um, Again, how exactly you'd get that right is a whole other thing, uh, and it's not a. And I'm not saying change it right now, but like if you were to sort of rearrange them, you could then tell the story in the context that would make all of these things like you'd understand what the Edget's context is mm-hmm. once it's once it's sandwiched by some story and backgrounds, things like that. And I think that would be a really interesting 
way to see something like this. Yeah, and well, since the book uh, was packaged in the Kickstarter with the the campaign setting, I think they're they're assuming at least that um, if you're mm-hmm. picking this yeah. up, you're just a player and you don't need all that because the DM has the campaign setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's other ways of consuming that story. And I I just haven't gotten around to being able to read both because I just read academic articles with my free time these days. But uh, I do. I did also enjoy. Like this is another area where there was a little homage to to editions of the past, right? Uh, and I think because Wolfgang Bauer is the head over at Cobalt Press, <laughs> and and he's an old school uh, game designer, like he'll throw in some of his favorites from from the past. So uh, a particular note to me was the the fighter archetype, the sword dancer. Yeah. Um, which felt a lot to me like the old Al-Kadim, uh, I think it was the Dervish, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and um, so I think they're trying to, you know, even the, the way the it's, it's drawn or painted there uh, to sort of look like the Dervish. And at the same time, um, I didn't hate the, the artwork and the fact that you have um, a female depicted here who's fighting and dancing but not dressed like it would historically be the way a, a, a dancing fighter woman would be dressed in a D&D book, you know, um, uh, I think was a, a nice move for them. It's progress. Yeah, so, actually, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Tracy. I was going to say, um, I do want to talk about the art, and I'll yes. do the quick thing in terms of uh, there are a few images of some of the mm-hmm. female characters that are like, eh. and all I had to really say at the end of it was I wish there was more sexy men mm-hmm. because there were enough non-sexy women to that it was just like a full range of humanity mm-hmm. in terms of women rather than uh, feeling like reading a fantasy yeah, uh, Victoria's Secret or something. And it's, and, and it's a nice, it's a nice change, even from Tome of Beast, which is a fantastic collection of monsters from Kobold Press. But like, how many uh, uh, scantily clad seductresses do we need in one book? Because there's like six different versions of that monster, right? Uh, and so I think maybe they'd heard some of that feedback and and work at least trying to be more cognizant of that. Rabbit, you had a thought on that. Yeah, so um, so the sword dancer jumped up out at me as well, and I'd wanted to talk about that one. Mm-hmm. I do love the art for for that particular one. Um, that's just really incredible art there. Mm-hmm. Second, secondly, though, just focusing on the content of the archetype. Mm-hmm. Um, what jumped out to me was that it reminded me of playing a water dancer in uh, Song of Ice and Fire. Mm. Um, Except, obviously, not a header system, none of that, but a lot of the same um, movement focus, um, avoiding attacks. If you get hit, it's going to be sad for you, so don't get hit. And this has a lot of good Mm -hmm. don't get hit stuff. So I was like, oh, hey, you know, if I wanted to do a 5e Song of Ice and Fire game that was set in... um, why am I forgetting the name of the place where everyone, where all the bastards are sand? Um, but yeah, Dornish. Uh, sand snakes campaign or a uh, Bravos campaign. Mm, uh, I might steal this archetype uh, specifically for that. Um, yeah, no, I think I think that's true, and I think that it, at the same time, I think it's worth it's worth looking at in those ways, and is an homage to things that maybe Wolfgang has done in the past. Um, oh, yeah. 
and and accomplishes all of that all at the same time, which is nice. I also really liked the um, the rogue, uh, the two new rogue archetypes. I thought they were interesting. I thought there's the duelist one and the fixer. Um, the duelist is interesting to me because it adds all these fun duelist dueling sort of uh, options, which makes it fun. Although there was a strange under the prowess mechanic. Uh, it talks about how you have an amount of prowess equal to your proficiency bonus times two, which is a mechanic and, and a resource measurement that works, and yet I've never seen that that done that way before. Like, basing a resource off of a proficiency bonus uh, is generally not something that is built off of in 5th in edition, and I don't know... Like, it works because there's not a lot of stuff that's messing with proficiency bonuses, so mm-hmm. it functions fine. Um, you know, but I wondered if like there wasn't a time when they were possibly going to let people modify proficiency bonuses or one way or another through different options, and so they didn't want to tack anything onto there early on, and so that just sort of was not the norm. But it kind of works, I think. It just means it scales very, very slowly. Yeah, uh, and then which, the is, other- which is oh. not a bad thing to me. No, especially for what it's doing and what they need it for, right? Yeah. Uh, and then it, the other. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say it also. I mean, it feels like they took the sort of swashbuckler rogue and uh, spliced it together with the Battlemaster fighter, and mm. you end up with the duelist. Well, and I think you're going to have some overlap like that, like swashbuckler rogue yeah. and the duelist. And I'm sorry, yeah, the duelist, because um, I think the this book was in production before or during the same time that 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 book was that had the swash that has the swashbuckler in it right xanathar's guide and all that sure uh the the other one that i thought was interesting was the fixer archetype which is the other rogue archetype or this the second rogue archetype i guess there's three uh but that one was interesting to me because as i look through the features it it takes a divergent path from most rogues in that most rogues are really good at like mechanical crunchy bits like either it's it's skill focused or i'm going to hit things and, and kill them really hard or whatever and the fixer is really all focused on the exploration and the the role-playing sort of elements of of D, right um which i found interesting like i don't know that i would always want to play that kind of a character but um certainly it's an option that is not very heavily explored in most classes and I like having that option there. I feel like I would be typecast as this uh, that particular role. No, you would absolutely be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I may have played a game or two with you as well, Jeremiah. And it looks like Dan wrote it for you. Yeah, yeah it really it. does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the other any other things on on the various builds and archetypes for for these classes that are in this section because there's one other section that I want to talk about but I, but let's finish up the, the the class build section first Shield Bear made me giggle just because anything that the whole point of this is to fix the protection fighting style mm. always kind of makes me giggle a little bit but, uh, uh, and I, it's very clearly hi I'm here to fix the protection fighting style <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I, I also think that the uh, the recurring theme of clockwork stuff mm-hmm. uh, with the clanking mercenary, clanking mercenary companies are again a thing in Zobek, mm-hmm. and they're like the best of the best, and they're kind of awesome uh, in the the write up that they get in the campaign guide. So mm-hmm. I'm pleased to have that context while looking at the because I read the player book before I read the campaign guide. Now I've 
went back and reread it, and I'm more pleased with that particular one after having that context. Well, I I liked the the depiction of that one in the art because it 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 shows a character who is differently abled, right? It's got somebody who is missing their legs, whether intentionally or accidentally, right? They they are somebody who who has lost their legs and replaced them with the mechanical legs. Um, and it's nice to see that uh, as well. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. Hmm. Um, Jeff, when you're saying, uh, this section, did you mean the chapter or just well, the part where we talk? I want to talk about weapon artifacts. options real quick before we move on to the next. Okay. Thing, so. Yeah. I want to make sure you're, you're going to cover that. Yeah. All um, right. So should we talk about weapon options? Sure. Sure. So, so that was a re- so weapon options is this whole other thing that takes place in this chapter. Uh, and, and it takes a decent amount of page count, but it's a really interesting um, little mechanical thing that they've tacked on to, to, like Tracy was saying, right, that they built onto the 5th edition framework. And it's basically their way of trying to make your weapon matter. So the weapon you choose to use is capable of doing different things that that another weapon can do because of the weapon that it is, right? So... so um, you know, for example, the the long sword can do the lock blades and the short draw. So then, if you got a long sword and another sword, and they have the same mechanical features, they do the same you know basic amount of, of damage and whatever. Um, they can still feel different because they do these different. They have these different actions you can take uh, because of the weapon you're carrying. And there's a ton of them. Like there's weapon after weapon after weapon. There's just pages and pages of this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, now's your chance to talk. I about. Am- I am absolutely taking this and putting this directly into my game right now. Mm-hmm. I love everything about this. I, I am unaccountably happy by a uh, by the uh, quarter staff ability of vault, mm-hmm. where yeah. you can use your. I don't know why it makes me happy, but it it makes me unaccountably happy that that's that's the quarter staff ability. You can double your long jump. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and generally speaking, and it's a lot of things like that. And and you you know, Rabbit mentioned the idea of I'm putting this in my game immediately, and and I don't know that I'm like gung ho like everybody's doing this now because it adds it does add a little bit more fiddly bits, and I don't know right. that everybody wants that. But I I'm going to offer this as an option in my game immediately, and the people who want to have a little bit more fiddly things to, to do mm-hmm. unique things can do that. And the ones who don't are like, fine, I'm just going to stab it with my short sword and do, and here's my damage. Right. And that's fine too. Um, you can be it as, mm-hmm. as complex and as fiddly as you want. Cause I don't think, think most of these aren't like outright giving you advantage. It's just giving you different options to make your fighting style feel unique. Right. right. I, 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 I admittedly am a big fan of the fiddly bit. And, <laughs> uh, and, um, I, I like that. Okay, someone might say, "Well, sure," but some of these was the overlap with uh, magic weapon abilities, and one they still don't add the magic weapon or the magic damage to things. And two, well, uh, whatever your magic weapon is, they get to do this too if they're mm-hmm. that type. Yeah, but absolutely. also, this is just a neat design space, mm-hmm. I think, and it's something uh, it's something I haven't seen before, and something I was actually looking for without knowing I was looking for it. And it's always mm. very satisfying when you uh, read some created content and find something like that. Yeah. So I'm conflicted on it. So let me just say, I actually, I agree with everybody else. I actually like 
the way it's like a, a, an elegant little piece of design because these these are basically kind of like weapon feats, but not right. Like like they're like right in that theme between sort of like light little little add-ons, and, and they work really well. But we've been going on and talking about kind of um, this like oh wow this is like so like you know the player options are so. Midgard, they help kind of define uh. this thing, and this is this is contextually so, like, like that. It was it was weird. I was like sitting there when I was reading it, having this feeling that I'm expressing, where I'm just like, "Wow, I like these, but like, I, I don't know if I want to see these right now." You know, like I, I I felt like maybe to get them in another section or like kind of a almost an appendix would have been like cooler. And I, I see why they want to put it with the martial characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's like at the same space where I'm vibing with, you know, all the like neat like uh, how the different uh, you know archetypes and stuff are setting up the story and what Midgard's about and these different things that I can be, mm-hmm. and not so much all the stuff I can do, which mm-hmm. is what the this stuff goes through. So uh, it's a little quibble, uh, but uh, that 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 was. Uh, how I felt about it. Mm-hmm. Tracy? Um, one of the things I was thinking about, I want to kind of uh, jump off from Quinn's thing, talking about weapon feats, because that's what I thought about them too. Mm-hmm. And I know there have been people who have really missed, uh, pretty just the fighter was the one that got the most feats, I think, or was one of the ones that got the most feats. And it was partially for fighting style that people use them for. So I think that was kind of useful here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I- so, no, yep. When I first saw saw this, my initial thought was, I'm not sure this would work enough for everybody um, that you might want to slow it a bit by maybe requiring a feat or something to to de- to access these abilities. And then after I looked at them for a while, I kind of got over that. But I can certainly see somebody having that instinct with this is putting in an extra requirement before you get access to them. Mm-hmm. I think Quinn's point is fair that, yes, this almost would make more sense as a part of a separate book that was more setting agnostic. Um, Especially when I'm looking at something like playing and they've got another thing I I kind of adore, under Dog Strike, where you uh, deal extra damage when you use your sling against a creature at least one sets category larger than you, which... Mm -hmm is great and awesome and totally right for sling but it makes me think of things that aren't the midgard setting mm-hmm. for yeah. obvious david and goliath reasons mm. yeah quinn uh, oh yeah uh, and and the, the other thing is that it actually kind of almost speaks to a fi- like a possible fix uh for something like this uh, going forward because because I, I wouldn't want to get rid of this stuff but it would be cool to maybe make these uh kind of, oh, here are things that your character could, like, like learn, and then there would be, like, a story to it, and, like, you know, maybe the pinning shot is something that is a specialty of this archetype or, you know, the, this sort of school of thought, and so so they might be almost mm-hmm. sprinkled about. Training uh, and then treasure! It, yeah, exactly, <laughs> like, you're like, oh, well, I trained with this guy, you know, well, hey, I learned the trick shot, or I learned, mm, you know, mm. uh, uh, this thing, right? And there, and then they're attached to bits of the story. So, I mean, and there are things that if you're looking at the book, um, you know, and hearing this again, going, that's brilliant. Well, you could just do that in your game and just attach these different, if you wanted to slow it down, 
Um, like, yeah. like Jeremiah was saying, you you just you just created a thing in my campaign, just so you know. Like there's there's hey. yeah that that's gonna be a thing now. Right. Uh, my my players are gonna learn how to do these things, but they're gonna learn it from experts, and and there's gonna be trainings and mentors and all that kind of stuff. That that's a thing now. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah, I can I can tell you specifically that uh, when I talked to Brandis about this, that's probably what he's gonna want to do because he'd already established. Uh, training NPCs that would mm-hmm. teach us stuff. And it's like, oh, well, here's a ready source of that for you. Right on. So yeah. so I think we're, we're wrapping up our conversation on weapon options. And, and I have a question for the group now because uh, we're almost an hour in and we haven't we have made it to page 46 out of 200 and some. <laughs> um, so I have a proposition for the group. Um, how would you feel about making this episode a little bit shorter, coming back again next month and making it a two-part review of Hero's Handbook, and we'll look at all the spell casting and spells, and maybe I can even get some of the, the guys on and, and tack an interview on with this uh, as well. Are uh, you guys open for that, coming back next month and doing the other half? Yeah, that'd be fantastic. I, know. Sure. I, just, I, just, don't sure. want, I just don't want everybody to have to stay up until, um, you know, Late, and I know my wife's going to be coming home soon, so and want and want to <laughs> yeah. you know get in bed. Well, and, and 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 it's great that we've had it. Uh, I mean, it, I think it speaks to the book a lot, uh, honestly, yeah. that we're having such a. Uh, I, I, I I mean, on, on this very show, we've had player options talks that were not this like mm-hmm. like rich and like detailed before. I mean, it, it's there's a lot to it, and so yeah, I think splitting it up will be fun, and we could sort of really give it. Yeah, I mean, it's like attention. It's actually thicker than many of the player option books mm-hmm. that Wizards has oh, yeah. made. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, outside of the player's handbook, I the, this is one of the thicker player option books I've uh, picked up. And it's just so dense. and ch- Like, we talked about how yeah. one, one new fighter archetype that we could talk about for five or ten minutes is half a page, you know? It just, it, it's so dense. So And that's typically true, I find, of a lot of Cobalt Press stuff. Um, I know one of my critiques of the original Midgard campaign setting is that it's just so dense, it's hard to just read cover to cover, which is not how these things are intended to be read, right? Um so so but, we, but we do that anyway. And we do we do. And if that's the biggest critique is that it's so dense there's so much stuff here I'm getting you know value for my money. That's a pretty uh, uh open critique. <laughs> no, yeah, a yeah, like critique. It, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's a pretty complimentary critique. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so what so I think that's the plan. We're at 55ish minutes now. Uh, I think we'll come back next month for for episode uh, it'll probably be 303 or 304 and we'll do the other half of Hero's Handbook. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and call that the end of this episode. We'd like to say thank you to our guests. Uh, Jeremiah, where can people find you online? Uh, well, I have a website, jeremiahmccoy.com. That makes things simple. I'm also Tech Noir on uh, Twitter. Cool. Rabbit? Uh, I have a much neglected blog, uh, deckofmanythings.blogspot.com. Uh, um, and I uh, uh, Cadillac on Twitter, and but mostly it's Rabbit's Daughter to G Plus, and uh, that's where I do most of my gaming talk. And Cadillac is C A U D E L A C. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, correct. Awesome. Oh, you're welcome. And Quinn. Uh, I am a semi-professional loudmouth on Twitter uh, <laughs> at qh underscore Murphy. Uh, warning: I don't know how to use the medium. You will see like very long things 
about whatever. Um, games sometimes too. It'll be good. Uh, and then um, uh, writing on uh, thoughtcrimegames.net. Don't you also have a column somewhere? Oh, oh yeah, there's, uh, I have a column uh, for this. Uh, I didn't know if it was relevant, so I didn't bring it up. But uh, yeah, I, I, I do uh, write um, monthly, semi-monthly stuff at um, uh, Daily MTG uh, for Magic the Gathering. Awesome. I, I, I referenced one of your posts in one of my recent posts, so it was right on All the right. top of my mind. Yeah. Oh, which one? Uh, the more I did a more like this with a lot of the art from the new Magic set. Ah, nice. Mm. Nice. Yeah. It's a good set. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and we'd also like to say thank you to our patrons from Patreon.com/slash/TheTomeShow and everyone who sh shops at Amazon and DMs Guild with our affiliate links at www.thetomeshow.com where you can also find other great Tome Show shows. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. You can tweet the Tome Show at the Tome Show. You can tweet me. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. And you can tweet Tracy. She is at Sarah Dark Magic. Sarah with an H. Yes. And that's episode 302, where we didn't know how to be heroic, so we looked up in a book and then realized there's a lot to it, so we're going to do even more next episode in this episode <laughs> of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The You don't dress up to play D&D, you don't dress up to play D&D, you don't dress up to play D&D, unless you want to, like me. You don't dress up to play D&D, you don't dress up to play D&D, you don't dress up to play D&D. To like me. You don't think we fancy, let me teach you about class. Priest, fighter, rogue, cats to kick your ass. You don't think we street, look at this table full of rice. You don't think we hard, just touch my dice. You don't think we can get it at the birds and the bees. I'm a pallet in the suits, but a thief in the shoes. My character shoots, cause they fold to the brim. With maxed out sass, out to open my DM. He think he in charge, we don't worry about him. Simple when he out to get us, be like Jack the Swam. Master player, traitor, master creator. Your master doesn't mean you have to hate her. Got a boy, I don't need to be no master later. I don't care if over there your character is dying, cause it's just like baseball. There's no crying. You wanna join in? Now you start realizing we're the cool, cool nerds. Call me Neil deGrasse Tyson. D to the R to the A, good S, D and D. The dungeon master sets up a scenario, then he or she asks, where would you like to go? We talk as a group, then decide together. There's no winning, yo, we could play forever. Questions. I'll clear up all your misconceptions. Stay right there, let me answer your questions. I'll clear up all your misconceptions. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to, like me. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to, like me. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to, like me. I'm on the wall.